Hello Sonoma, welcome back. My guest today is Gina Kuklis. She's an educator, an environmentalist, and a PR expert. Today we talk about her own educational journey and how she came to be who she is today. Hello, Sonoma. Welcome back. My guest today is Gina Kuklis. Welcome to the program. Well, thank you very much for having me. How are you doing today? I'm doing great, thank you. Well, I'm so excited to have you here because right now you are the president of the California County Board of Edu- Boards of Education. You're on the Sonoma board, board of the Sonoma County Office of Education. You are helping make a lot of decisions on behalf on our behalf. But I must confess that sometimes these governmental organizations with their respective acronyms, CCBE and SCOE, can go way over my H-E-A-D. And everybody's. <laughs> <laughs> can we just start by talking about what your education was like? My education? Well, I grew up in Oakland, so I went through the Oakland public school system in 60s and 70s, went to Skyline High School. My claim to fame is I was a sophomore on stage with Tom Hanks. Really? Yes, the Tom Hanks. He was a senior, and I was a sophomore, and I had a bit part. Actually, we were on stage together twice. I had a bit part in an opening scene of Twelfth Night. And he played the court jester role. Mm -hmm. And then later in the year, we were in the musical South Pacific. And again, I had a small part in the chorus, you know, and he was Billis. (laughs) And you could just tell then, as a matter of fact, when he got his first Academy Award, he, he, he recognized and honored our high school drama teacher and also somebody who I knew who had been in his class in high school who he said, two fine gay men, whatever else he said. And so I was like, wow, you know, I know those people. Yeah. That was my drama teacher. So anyway, yeah, so that's where I, I grew up was Oakland. Was theater a big part of your education? In high school, in high school, yes. And actually, you know, if it weren't theater, music, I played the violin actually even through college and a little bit after college. And um, and sang, and so that actually was my also class and extracurricular activities. Those th- those are the things that kept me busy. You were an art student through high school, kind of. Yeah, yeah, just a, it's more advocation kind of enjoyment kind of thing. So yeah, so that that's what kind of made school fun for me. So anyway, so I definitely developed. You know, school's very different now than it was back then. I mean, I have to tell you, and I talk about this a lot, a couple things people have heard me talk about who are used to being around me, listen to me talk about public education. Back in my day growing up, my teachers in elementary school, they were mostly all women who became teachers because they didn't want to be nurses. Right. Right? Women didn't have. So that made for some people in the classroom who really didn't have the heart And if that's an advantage now is women have a lot of options. So people who choose to go into education truly want to. But this is where my thinking is and how we need a huge paradigm shift in thinking of our educator workforce. Because we still have this 50-year-old, 100-year-old mentality about women being teachers and so we have a huge teacher shortage in the state. I'm getting off your original question, but it really it is all connected because it all impacts my thinking. And so we have this huge educator shortage. And I believe part of that is we have not grown up in our thinking 
about how women have options, so we have to think differently about where teachers are going to come from. And we need to pay them better and respect them more, and et cetera, et cetera. And we need more men as teachers in the classroom. Who were some of your favorite teachers in school, either at high school or in elementary school? Well, actually, I had a history teacher I really liked. He was sort of like a oh, a longer hair, <laughs> slightly more progressive, um, loved history. I mean, he taught it well. I did well in his class. Of course, we had... Orchestra was great because we had an excellent orchestra. We had an excellent orchestra teacher. Um, we had a great choral teacher. The drama teacher was a hoot. You already heard me talk about him. So those really were among my favorite teachers. Um, and then I highly respected, we had Mrs. Dunham, my high school chemistry teacher. She, by golly, was going to make sure you learn <laughs> chemistry. And I really, because she, she all the time, we have money to do this and that, but we don't have enough money for the classrooms. And this is in the 70s when I was in high right. school, right? And we, and she was an excellent teacher because she cared that everybody learned. And I turned out liking chemistry. I assumed going into it, I wasn't going to like it. Right. And I did. And did well in a class I didn't expect to do well in because I had a teacher who really connected with the students. And, and she was known for being strict. My golly, you did not get into her class one second late. But you knew students really respect teachers who, who you know they're there and they care that you were learning and grasping the material. Completely. I think of all the memories that we forget from our childhood, we almost always remember who our teachers were what they did that we liked and what they didn't do that we wish we'd had and and everything. So uh, it's hard to overstate the impact that teachers can have. Outside of the classroom, though, uh, you grew up in Oakland, as you mentioned, in a Greek household. Both your parents were children of Greek immigrants. Mm -hmm. What did your parents teach you? Oh, wow. You know, so the value of hard work and community engagement, really caring that you're, you, you're responsible for your community. My mother was very active in the League of Women Voters, was an Oakland chapter president and was involved in um, campaigns. <clears throat> her Liz in Sonoma now, her very good friend, Betty Ann Bruno, they were pals when I was growing oh, up. Cool. I remember Betty Ann Bruno's campaign for Oakland City Council because my mom was her campaign treasurer. I think I was 11 years old at the time. I got dragged along to envelope stuffing and campaign events. Also then my father and mother, but really very involved in the Greek community, raising scholarship money, raising money to help build a hospital in Greece, you know, because the 60s and 70s, mm -hmm. Greece was still recovering from the Second World War and its own um, civil war that it had post-Second World War. So all, all, all of that, and that just continues when I learned those values and the values of family, but, but per, personally that sense of being part of your community, and you can make a difference when you are involved in, in the grassroots local level. Weren't you also working uh, with your father's small manufacturing business, assembling metal products? Yeah, you really dug down into my bio there. That's it. You're looking at the campaign website. Yeah, so Assembling my... <laughs> metal products? What product? This is, uh, what yeah. are those? Oh, yeah, yeah. so they had a, a factory in San Leandro. My dad was a mechanical engineer, and they made binder metals. Oh. Yeah, metal, and also these little scissors and, and these clipboard clips. And um, that's what they manufactured until my dad, when he retired, he liquidated the business and basically manufacturing a 
plants like that don't really even exist in the U.S. anymore. You can't you can't pay you can't compete. They, those products are made in other countries for a lot less than we can make them here. So yes, yeah, so I was on the assembly line, summers and what have you, until I graduated from high school and went off to college. That must have taught you a lot, though, being on the assembly line and seeing these things get made. It did. It did. And it also taught me that the importance of an education. Yeah, you want to go to college or you, you're, you don't want to do these real boring. It's boring work. Assembly line work is boring work. So um, we talked a little bit about your parents, but when you think about role models in your life, who comes to mind? Oh, boy. Well, you mentioned my parents, so I would have to say that. And, um, And other people in my family, you know, my grandmother's a big example of persevering. You know, she became a widow at a young age. She came to this country when she was like 15 and her mother was already here had made long long story there but she literally as my mom would describe her mother a being shipped she didn't really speak much english literally put on a ship <laughs> with a sign around her neck who you know like where she was going and who she was going to be meeting oh so my this gosh. is a meeting so because then and she actually went through canada because that was a period you know if you if you know that my people were part of that negative yeah. in history. So there was a time when they stopped letting Greek people into the U.S. So we have a whole branch of the family that instead immigrated to Canada and then later to the U.S. or some later just stayed in Canada. I got cousins in Canada. So my mom would talk about that, about her mother a lot. She, didn't, My grandmother herself didn't want to talk about it. I think it was traumatic for her. Can you imagine? You know? Yeah. And so uh, so that, that, that sense of... of perseverance. Um, and then just, you know, who are other role models? I've, I can tell you, uh, I feel like that's, a, I can't look in my life and go, that person, that's the person I wanted to emulate. I just think it's just a whole life of people that I've met. Yeah. And um, I've learned something from in some way. Yeah, well, I mean, at least when I've talked to other people about this, it's like, the more people that you get to talk to, the more little qualities that you can absorb. You can say like, oh, I really like that person's creativity, the way that they work with clay or something. I, I like their attitude. Or I like this person, the way they talk or the way they speak. Or I like the way that these people cook. And it's cool to be able to bring all that together and to make a new person, which is you. Yeah, or just things you learn. Like I'll tell you, I was thinking about this. This is an interesting because my background professionally is in PR and communications. So when I became president of the California County's Board of Education, um, and we don't have a big membership. Our membership is the people who serve on California's 58 county boards of education. Mm -hmm. And it's a little less than 400 people in total. And I thought, I really want to do more one-on-one connection with our members. Messages. So I said at the general membership meeting in December when I became president, and that watch for it, you're going to get a message from the president from me, my voice. So instead of just being the, a newsletter kind of written in message, and, and I where I got that idea from, what really, and the tone I want to take out of it, and using the I voice and the we, dear fellow County Board of Education members, and that personalized was, so one of our, one of my daughters went to Tulane University to transfer there as a junior, actually, and, and uh, now she has a master's degree. But uh, anyway, so as parents, he sent the president of that university sent out emails to the parents, wow. and I read, I read the emails. My husband, who you've interviewed, I 
but they were person they were spoken with the i voice i spoken like he wasn't talking at me as a parent he was talking to me as a parent so i would connect with my child my you know, adult child what was going on at the school it made it relevant to me and i said that's the kind of voice i'm going to use something that puts my me into it where i'm talking to and not at so it's just different things you pay attention to as you go through life and what's important and matters to you and go ah so that was something that i remembered and said i'm going to adopt that way of communicating with my members of this year that i'm president so I'm so glad that you brought up your daughter. You have twin girls. As you think about their education overall, you mentioned she got a master's degree. Uh, what kind of things did you hope that they gained from their school experiences beyond specific classroom lessons? You're talking about here at Sonoma Valley when sure. they were growing up? I mean, yeah. when you think about, I, when I think about this as people who are parents think about their kids, they think about qualities that they want their kids to have. And I think that when you go through school, I don't know if you want kids to learn, I want to make sure they learn calculus, or I want to make sure they learn this, but it's kind of like, who do you want your kids to become after having gone through um, school? Well, for my husband and I, I think it was really about their own curiosity. We wanted them, yes, they, they got the messages from the early age about our expectations that they go to college, they have two college-educated parents, they had with some financial support, had had means to do that. So they, they were raised with that message. But also, besides needing to take the classes for college, um, my husband and I, you know, I'm married to Roy Tennant. We haven't brought that up. You've been we haven't brought before. that up. That's my husband, everybody, in case you <laughs> didn't know Great that. Great guy. Um, so we... we weren't the type of you have to take this and you have to take this and we you know we we were like we were into having our children explore and test out what they liked and support them and they wanted to try this for a while and you know uh, that for a while and and uh, but but as long as they were taking the classes they needed to take and still had that eye on college which that which they very much did and just to to be their own um, person. We did hope that they did well in school. We wanted them to do well. Um, we weren't helicopter parents uh, at all, but you know we followed what, what was going on, like any good parent does. <laughs> of course, <laughs> and because we also had one of our daughters, the one who's now a social worker, she was actually a marvelous singer, and she would have usually have leads in the musicals at Sonoma Valley High when she was there, and. Um, and took singing lessons and sang around a lot. And Mike Thompson had her sing the national anthem at a couple times. Once when Bill Clinton came to Napa, wow. and Congressman Thompson had his thing. Oh, that girl who sang. He said, "Yeah, yeah, that's Gina's daughter." He said, "Oh, look at the <laughs> called and said, hey, Mike wants your daughter to sing at this event with Bill Clinton." So anyway, um, and now she's really not singing anymore, which is too bad because she's still got a gorgeous voice. But but all of that, it's just like no, like we weren't. Like, I know some kids, it's like, well, my parents made me take piano lessons. Well, we never made them do anything. What do you want to do? What do you want to try? That's the way it is today. <laughs> and now, you know, it's even harder because you're adult children. You really have to keep your mouth <laughs> shut, you know? <laughs> There's a balance, right, between... <laughs> yeah, they're not kids in the house and whatever decisions that they make. And, um, you know, they're both living together in Atlanta, and, of course, Roy and I wish they weren't so far away, but this is one phase happening right now. I don't think it's for either of them that's their forever home, but right. it's working for now. Well, that's exciting to see them see them grow and see them transform. 
We're going to take a quick break, but we'll be right back on Hello Sonoma. Hello, Sonoma, and welcome back. We were just talking with Gina Kuklis about her relationship to her daughters and her relationship to education overall. Beyond your daughters, you were also a reading tutor through a program called Schools for Hope. Right. And which, at Alvarano School. Yeah, so I did that with, so Schools of Hope is, was a program of United Way, and they would match volunteers at certain schools that participate in the program. And, and I started, El Verano was one of them. And then later El Verano started its own thing out of, out of that program, was doing its own reading program. And I volunteered with that. And then I took a couple years or a year or so not. Then I went and wanted to participate with Schools of Hope again because we had the Sonoma County Office of Education. We actually did some in-kind support for Schools of Hope, we did their their data entry of their, you know, the testing they would do. So I felt like, well, I wanted to go back and support Schools of Hope. So that was at Presswood for a couple of years. And then, um, and then United Way, after the pandemic, changed some of its focus of things that it did. And so it no longer ha- ha- does the Schools of Hope program. Uh, I don't know what Presswood is doing that schools have then in some cases started their own the other with things other programs so but you were um, a you were a reading tutor for almost seven years i did that off yeah it was off uh kind of three i feel like it was a while a couple years on yeah i lost i lost it was volunteering (laughs) i kind of lost track it was all during well how did that experience impact you um well what i liked is it gave me a connection to a young child because in if I could, we haven't talked much about the Sonoma County Office of Education. I've been on that board now for ten and a half years, but we uh, we serve school districts, and then we operate the programs that we operate are for secondary students. So we have we we I'm I'm the school board for the students who are going to school and they're in the juvenile hall. Mm-hmm. We provide the school yeah the alternative schools. The alternative I think schools. Uh, we operate two alternative schools for students who've been expelled or placed there by the courts or have self-referred. Our main one's in Santa Rosa, Amorosa Academy. The other one's in Petaluma Headwaters. So, and those are secondary school students. So I don't see, I don't, when I walk into a classroom, our, one of our SCO classrooms, I'm singing teenagers, right? Mm-hmm. So by volunteering at Schools of Hope, it gave me that touch point with an elementary school student. So that's part of what, what I liked about it. It must have been kind of nice. I, I was a reading tutor once, and it was kind of cool to just wander the shelves and say, what do you want to read? And this little guy, he had so much energy. This is in Minneapolis at the Minneapolis Public Library. He'd be like, I don't know. And then I'd say, okay, well, why don't we choose this one? And we had a lot of fun, I think. He would ask me fun questions that I didn't expect, and he would be reading or I would be reading and we would learn new words. And it was a really cool bonding moment. Did you feel that way? or? Oh, yeah, definitely. Definitely. And um, and that, and then seeing them improve, you know, yeah. when you have that, that. So matter of fact, my last year doing that was the 2019-2020 school year. And that's when the program ended. First of all, we all had to stop. Right. Distance learning. And there was no more. So... Um, and and I have to tell you, you asked that question because I've wondered about that little girl that I was tutoring that year, how she did, uh, because she was still not where she needed to be for 
the grade she was in. I think she was second grade, whatever. And I kind of wondered because the the um, the Schools of Hope program helped kids that were not where they needed to be, where you want, but they weren't the ones, the ones that were really super strugglers, those had the professionals. Mm -hmm. If you were the really, you know, that's a whole, that's real specialties. But I, what I noticed, parents, read to your kids, when when you're told the importance of an adult reading to a child starting young, yes, it matters, because the pattern, what I saw in my years of doing that, and I'd ask them, is that, are you, oh, did you read at home this weekend? Did you read with the, you know, and so often, what did you do? They're, they weren't, did you, you know, oh, I was over at my dad's. Dad read to you? No, you know, or one girl had my, I play, my big sister likes to play school. I remember that. When my when we play school, my big sister reads. The big sister's that's like nice. two years old. Yeah. Her, but can, and so, okay, that's, but yeah, definitely I really could see that. These children were not having an adult every day reading to them. Yeah, and you know, people people wonder, how can I get involved? What can I do? And there's little things like that. Just reading with kids, going to the library. I'm sure there's different ways to get involved. And we're going to get into a lot of your political and public service involvements. Uh, <laughs> but I, I believe you got started in this kind of uh, educational activism, specifically because your daughters were in school. Well, I'll have to, uh, Luann Carlomano, how, how it happened is... Um, uh, well, it is, you're going to probably bring this up, but my history includes running for county supervisor. Mm-hmm. Twice. So, uh, yeah. But so Luann, after the first time, um, Luann calls, reached out to me. She was the superintendent of, at the time. And I'd known her since uh, she was a teacher. And her youngest daughter and my daughters were friends through elementary school. They met in kindergarten. So we had known each other for years. She says, I have an idea to run by you, or I think I got a Facebook message or something. Call me. I have an idea. I was talking to the county superintendent. I have an idea. You should. I have an idea to run by you. Okay. Hey, Luann, what's, what's it? Is it? She says, you should have been our next county supervisor. <laughs> but I have an idea for you. Run for the county board of education. And I went, huh? uh, what? And I knew, I'm going to tell you, I knew the gentleman in the seat. I knew him. He actually supported me. And so, but after talking with her, I said, okay, I'll meet the county superintendent to make, to get to the punchline after meetings with different people. Okay, I decided I'd run. And that's how I came to run for the County Board of Education. So what did you think you were going to be doing when you signed up? And did you have any idea what you were actually getting into? <laughs> well, I went to some meetings, like I said. I mean, I, I, I did my homework first. You know, I researched um, what all the county office was doing, what the board does, because what county, what we do on county boards of education are very different than what school districts do. Of course, I met with the superintendent. I went to some meetings and watched um, their meetings first. And um, and then I called Luann again. She's like, you'd be awesome. Do it, do it, do it. And so anyway, it's, that's, that was that. What I didn't expect so it took me a while that first year is really a learning year of course you know, i mean you know and what i know now all what because now i'm working statewide i know county board members from all over the state i know county superintendents i'm like the whole other <laughs> whole other it's like i'm a whole other person almost in what i know but that first first year i'll tell you what i didn't know and that was one of the the hardest part of the job we have this appellate function. When a student is expelled, 
they have the right to appeal their expulsion to the County Board of Education. And you really got to have solid grounds to do that. Just don't go off and do it. You know, I was, um, and also we do, we're the um, appellate body for interdistrict transfers. So if you're denied an interdistrict transfer, you want to go to one school district right. and the other one says, no, you can't leave. Or the other one says, no, you can't come in. You have the right to appeal. And again, you really need to have solid grounds. You got it not. So, and so that, I didn't really, wasn't very aware of that part of the job at all. And yet I ended up having my first interdistrict transfer appeal the week I was sworn in. Holy cow. And I went, I sat down myself and there was one other new member in the county superintendent had us meet with an attorney the educate to educate us on this process and what our role is and what to look at and that's really though that is the hardest part of the job because when those get to us when it's gone through a process and it's decisions made and they're going to go with for their appeal it's emotional um on both types of cases School districts and school districts are get very mad when their decision is overturned. And, you know, but we do the right, we, we have a, there's you a do whole your way, homework, as we you do mentioned. our homework, there's a whole way we judge it. You know, I mean, there's the criteria we use. We're not, just, you know, we don't easily turn over a school district's denial. It's mo- most, of the, most of the appeals we do deny but there's those that we grant and school districts are always mad you know when we do that and i just i've learned to live with it but the the energy in the room and expulsions are even worse there's always attorneys both sides there's always attorneys and when you have attorneys in the room the energy really (laughs) gets fired up those appeal times or those session hearings are longer and those decisions are tougher because deciding um whether you know yeah. a student is that expulsion was justified or not, those, those are the worst. And I've got, I'm saying, I don't, I don't mean to complain. Oh my gosh, she doesn't like her job. I'm just being real honest. Yeah, it's tough. It's like because people don't know this is the public. Absolutely, p- people run for my office. I've had people challenge me. They had no clue. <laughs> and I said, this is the big part. And when I've told the paper, this is the big part of the job. You don't know anything about it. It, it, we don't write press releases about it. You right. don't know about it. it. Takes a lot of time, and these are some of the toughest decisions you have to make. You know. And I'm so glad you brought that up because now that we get to know you a little bit better about your own educational background, I'm hoping that you could tell us about some of the other responsibilities that that you have. As I mentioned at the beginning, you wear lots of different hats. Um, some of the different responsibilities that you have, um, because as you mentioned in your first year, you just didn't know. Even if you really wanted to be informed, it's it's just, how are you going to know? The, the whole, you, you go through the experience. So you know, over the years, we one of the things we do is we adapt what the need is to what's going on. So we created, for an example, after the 2017 fires, we immediate, we meaning the County Office of Education got donations for student mental health and to address the immediate needs. That and, and then there was the immediate PTSD training. You know, we got funding, we brought in experts, worked with the school districts. Um, that morphed into creating our own behavioral health division. Wow. That goes to districts, provides extra service at districts, takes referrals about students, and does a lot of training. They do a lot of professional development helping the counselors because who may not be trained in. Uh, you know, drama <laughs> right. or, or just the, you know, this whole 
So we've developed this for through grants and some money out of our general fund. So this whole behavioral health division um, that has come out of that. So that's a, a response for an example. So and what I, I, I've learned just being engaged now statewide, my responsibility as president of this organization is we exist to help County Board of Education members in their governance role and to learn. We provide professional development. We provide just the networking. We put on a conference. We've we've organized our members around advocacy, for example. We've been very engaged with a particular issue with funding for court and community schools that we operate. There's a big budget. We got a big thing going on right now with the state budget (laughs) because it's June 15th is the deadline. I I don't take it, unless you want to, I won't take it down the weeds on that issue, but I've been very engaged with that. But and so you so. mentioned professional development and coordination. What kind of things are are those are those people doing in their governance roles? Well, in their in so meaning like we put on conferences, we have workshops. So it's helping. It's a place to go. Where do you? How do you learn to do your job mm-hmm. as a board member? So I just want to clarify too that California County Boards of Education. We are a section of the bigger California School Board Association. So we're the section that deals simply in service and support to County Board of Education members. But we're all board members, we're all county, we're all school board members in some way. So we infrastructurally are part of the big organization. So like this year, for example, I sit because I'm president of CCBE, I sit on the board of the overall California School Boards Association. <laughs> That's just a one-year job, that one, because we're all, you know, we're all we're all working together on the fact that we're serving students and you're out to try to improve education and do the best we can. And, and there are certain statewide issues we all are dealing with, declining enrollments going on around the state, you know, funding issues all over the state, trauma all over the state, teacher, workforce as you issues mentioned, all yeah. over the state, you know. So So those are the issues that are on your mind. Well, our local congressman called you a hardworking, passionate, and persistent advocate for providing high-quality public education to all students in our community. In this world of education at a governmental level, as you mentioned, you're just part of another bigger thing, which is part of a bigger thing. I'm sure you probably hear from a number of constituents with all kinds of opinions on what education should and shouldn't look like. What do you think are some of the biggest things that divide us? And what are the biggest things that unite us in that kind of field? You know, ultimately, we're lucky because we're here in Sonoma County. We're here in Northern California. I think ultimately, we're pretty united in terms of we all want our students to succeed. We all, we, you know, we all, we want quality education. People in Sonoma, people in Sonoma County, neighboring counties, everybody I know who sits on a school board, all wants quality public schools. They all want high achieving students. Um, I think that's pretty unified. I would say, unfortunately, in some parts of our of our state and in some parts, bigger part, other parts of the country, yeah, the, some of the culture wars have have come down to the school board, school district level. Mm-hmm. Like I said, we're lucky in Sonoma County. We don't really have that, but I am I have heard the horror stories of certain other parts of the state, um, very disruptive board meetings that the whole masking, you know, people making, turning, you know, whether or not you wear a mask in the classroom into a political issue. And we've even, 
you know, we've had at my County Board of Education, there are, are individuals who've showed up, not in mass, but we've gotten a f- couple one time, a few another who've come during the public comment, not on the agenda time and have complained, mm-hmm. you know. CRT, somebody came to complain, yes, critical race theory, which, by the way, is not being taught in any K through 12 public school in the USA, by the way. <laughs> just if anybody, just as a PSA. Just as a clarification. It's a college, graduate school, law school level theory. Uh, anyway. Um, but so, I think that's interesting because, you know, so often as people removed from education, you know, for me, I graduated elementary school in 2009 or something like that. It's hard to, um, the last time I interacted with it was at a, as a student. So I'm in this like in-between period where I don't really know how all these things happen, but it is reassuring to hear that we are united in, you know, I think the perhaps obvious places we want the students to be successful, to give them the tools that they need, and to give the teachers the, what they need to succeed in, in that role as well. Yeah, exactly. But I just want—I did want to say something though. There is on, and there's almost politics to it. What's there's the charter school, anti-charter school, and I would say when I think of divisions that have been going on for a while now, that's. That's one of them. Hmm. There are people in the Valley, too, and in our county, in the state, who do not like charter schools. They see charter schools as um, taking certain privileged families have left public schools because of charter schools. That's one pers- one point of view. I'm not saying you're I'm just saying that's one point of view. And then there's those who are like, we need charter schools because public schools have failed, and we need to have the- – this is choice. We need choice. Parents need choice, and so we have choice. And, uh, and so how it's played out is – the teachers' unions, there's the two, you know, AFT and CTA, very anti-charter. And then you have a whole charter, almost an industry, in their own money. And um, and it's this is played out in the state superintendent race. Um, last time prior to that, it's played out in that race. It's played out in some... In some school district, particular in some county boards of education, not around here, but I, I know of certain races, um, because one of the other things county board of education do, they can charter school, and they're also an appellate body for charters. Oh wow! So the school district turns out a charter. The people trying to get the charter can appeal it to the county board of education, <laughs> and so it's another. So in it's some counties thing. where this happens a lot. They'll target and say, here's a school county board of education member. We think they're too charter, pro-charter. We want to get rid of them. Or we think they're not charter enough. We want to get rid of it. So that, that fortunately, it doesn't happen here. It hasn't happened in neighboring. But it, I do. You see there, I know a Bay Area county where this plays out in, by well, the way. The reason that I ask you is just because you have that kind of high, what's the word? Um, very high, There's big picture view. Feet, yeah, thank you. Feet picture of what of, kind yeah. of the, what what the discussions are. But I do want to say we've been talking about education for a little while. But you did have another career before this, and we'll find out all about it right after this break. Hello, Sonoma, and welcome back. We're talking with Gina Kuklis about her career before her education. You had a PR company called Kuklis PR. Yeah, I, I did that for several years. And I believe your mission was the right message to the right people. You work with healthcare <laughs> providers, theater groups, educational of, groups, yeah. educational environments. Without giving away too many trade secrets, what do you say are <laughs> some of the basics of good PR? Oh, boy. Well, well, um, 
relationships, you know, having those relationships with your local media, relationships in the community, um, being disciplined and consistent in what you say. And I worked with, um, this was several years ago, I did a project with Sonoma Valley Hospital. Mm -hmm. And um, that was part of the issue behind the scenes was having them be bored, the the seat be disciplined. And that, you know, so you're not boom, 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 I'm, you know, this, that, and that, what's being disciplined. And so, um, and it's not always, it's not easy when you're under fire, you know, and being, having, being consistent and recognizing too, being honest when you've made a mistake, you know, oh, I didn't mean this. Oh, you know, being honest, people, people actually appreciate when you are honest and you are correcting. This is the course correction we're going to take, you know, so... Well, there's a lot of tips. You wrote a newsletter for a long time. You yeah, wrote a blog that's been for a while. You're, you're really digging in the past because that's yeah. been a while. It's been a while. It's been a while. I don't even remember. Yeah. That's, Two yeah. of those tips are never say no comment. Oh, yeah. Not oh, very yeah, nice. Yeah, yeah, Another yeah. one is you had seven tips for starting your speech, you know, how to oh, approach God. the podium. Oh, yeah. What do oh, you... I did those years ago. Got it. Can't yeah. even remember. Yeah. You, okay. You wanted about the no comment? Yes. Okay. You sound like you're hiding something. Yeah. I'm always like, you don't say, you say, you. You know, the way you say it is... If you, Do you know what's going on with the budgetary things? And say, in the... say, you might say, I have to get back with you. I don't know at the time. Or uh, when I have more information, I can't answer that question right now. When I can, I, I will let you... Well, much, you know, in the next 48 hours. <laughs> I mean, really, like, think of crime scenes. Think of things where you don't have the information yet. Yeah. You don't want to say something and it's wrong. You truly can't ask, answer a question. But, you, but when you say no comment, it sounds like you're hiding something. Yeah. You know, so there's a... But if what you mean is like I really can't answer the question, I really don't know. <laughs> yeah. I or or it's it's I got privacy issues right now around this, and when I when we can reveal the information, no, I can't tell you who the victim is until the victim's family hasn't been notified. So there's there's yeah, and that's kind of a um, a mistake people make because if if they've watched too much crime show TV, really, if you yeah. want, you see that said on these TV shows where it's in the script and it's not what actual people who are, work with the media do. Yeah. You, know? you never see a sports player say that. You no. Know, that, who are very well PR trained. Oh, they're well trained. And you never yeah. see, you, you won't ever see the White House spokesperson saying that. <laughs> you know, you're not going to. So, so you have this enormous knowledge of public relations having well, I don't this know company. If it's enormous. Okay, well, a sizable <laughs> knowledge. And you had to reduce it into these little tiny newsletters and blog posts. What do you think that experience of cons- making things concise taught you about um, public relations and communications in general? Well, you know, that's really hard to say because that's just part of my training. And I'm frankly better at writing it than saying, you know, mm-hmm. I say it when I really know it. But if, if, if I've been in these situations where I've been like, oh, all of a sudden, and and I'm not necessarily so concise then when I'm just extemporaneously going, oh, my gosh, I have to respond to this. <laughs> and I wasn't prepared, you know. So when I'm writing something, and then I can think it, write it, change it, <laughs> edit. So, yeah, and that just comes with tra- – some of that comes with training going back years. figured and, out. Well, I know you studied communications at UC Santa Barbara. Mm -hmm. Um, Was PR what you were trying to go for? Yeah, yeah. It was communications and, you know, at at that kind of level at at UC Santa Barbara, you're learning not just PR stuff. It's a whole variety of, you know, 
um, that's related to that organizational communication, of course, public speaking. So, was that business what you imagined it would be? Oh God, I don't because it because you know it, it just was always my jobs were always so different because when I worked and then I worked in public relations and marketing for nonprofits, so it was like all over the map, you know, <laughs> doing all kinds of things and writing not just press releases, but getting to write guest columns in the newspaper. And, and um, so, I, I don't know. <laughs> you're, you're digging into my past, and I'm like going, oh, it just seems like almost that's a lifetime. Yeah, we're going way know? back there. Um, yeah. Well, so I should mention that you're involved in a number of local businesses, including including the Sebastiani Theater Foundation. I used to be. Used this is to all be. Old, this is all old news. Old news. Old yeah, news. When, the, when, the, when the foundation first started, just started. I, I helped them with their communications, their messaging, what are they about, you know. Same so with the, back. oh, wow. Same with the General Vallejo Foundation, a statue on the plaza, you helped yeah, make no, that, no, that happen. Was, yeah, now that was, I was on the committee, so that wasn't a professional, that wasn't no, business, no. that was a volunteer, I was, rec- oh, what is her name, dear sweet, she passed away before the statue was done. Her name will probably come to me an hour <laughs> Later in now. the interview. Stay tuned, She's it'll come on, back. So she, I knew her, we were on the board of the Sonoma League for Historic Preservation together, mm-hmm. and she Sheila she called me up, and she first at first she goes, you know how George Weber said there's nothing in the plaza around about the founder of the town, um, General Blejo. There's no, and he he's really responsible for mm-hmm. laying out our grid and creating the city of Sonoma. And she said, um, I'm just getting a, a group of people together to explore the idea of creating some sort of statue, some sort of monument, whatever. whatever. We had to call it a monument. I forget what we were called. I said, okay. She was a person you can't <laughs> say no to. I go to one meeting at her house. Next thing you know, I'm on this committee. Very <laughs> you know, good. That's what happens sometimes. That's what happens. And so, yeah, so then we you know, raised the money and had you know, Jim Callahan was the artist. And um, we got that, yeah, that done. And the city kind of turned the whole thing, turned over the city. And a lot of people donated. And Jim donated part of his time. And and we were, like, really clear on the fact that, okay, this is not general. This is not about that, you know, when he was just the, when that part of his life was over and he was just sort of sitting back and a statesman of the town. You know what I'm saying? It just... And have that look of just sitting on the bench. We came up with that idea early. We didn't want to. So we didn't want the on a standing. horse or something with a sword. No, no, <laughs> no, 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 no. Sitting on the bench, and um, so that, yeah, yeah. And I think it's one of the most photographed things in town. I mean, yeah. instantly all over. <laughs> I was just see my Facebook feed and tourists taking their pictures and little winning little league teams and and this and that, you know. And and I just want to acknowledge, you know, you have to acknowledge who who he was in history. And yes, you know, yeah, now well he you know, his relationship with the native people, like everybody's every non native person's relationship with the native people at that time, hello, yeah. Um it's not, not anything to be proud of, but um but it doesn't mean you say, but it doesn't mean you don't acknowledge that that's that who's really who is responsible for creating Sonoma as as we know it, and um, and and you look at too more about his history, you know he was for women participating in government and he was actually 
became a person who wanted to give Indians, natives rights before anybody, not anybody, but he was early on in that issue. And so, and he was supposedly, history says he was actually friends with Chi Solano. You know, so so there's a whole, it's complicated, it's in depth. You can't, it, anyway, so I just want to say, yeah. that's why there's a, Thank you a monument statue of him, whatever you would call it, on the plaza. And I think and what I, you did with the statue and what Jim Callahan did is it's by sitting on the bench, we remind ourselves that this person in our history books was a human being with all kinds of flaws that we can learn from and uh, good qualities that we can learn from too. Exactly, yeah. Yeah. Well, you've interacted, speaking of human beings, interacted with a lot of people throughout all of the different involvements that you've been a part of. I chose the, those two as just two examples. As I mentioned, you ran for district supervisor, in part because you wanted to represent the 30% of people in the county who live in unincorporated areas and whose only governmental representation is a supervisor. But what's really interesting to me about that is when you do these campaigns, you're often knocking on people's doors. Mm-hmm. What did going door-to-door teach you about your community? Um. Well, a couple of things. It taught me how little most people know what county government does, frankly. Yeah. If those of us who were impacted by it the most know the most, and even within those still, people only know that which they had a problem with. Sure. Um, And so, and it's really the Santa Rosa part of the first district, they really have no clue. They don't need, you know, the east part of Santa Rosa is the more affluent side of Santa Rosa. And those aren't people who need services from the county. They're not going and getting health and human services from the county. And they're in the city. So they get the things that we have to get, that I have to get from the county, you know. So they have better sidewalks and they have better streets. (laughs) They have better lighting. And they have, you know, and so they just don't. They just don't know that you, you talk to them and I would say, oh, what do you care? Yo, got an issue about the county. And and you knew who bike riders were because if you were a bike rider, you talk, you brought up roads because it's really the bad road conditions out in the county make it tough to ride a bike. Mm-hmm. So if you live in the Rincon Valley and go out Calistoga Road. Uh, so that's that's kind of partly what I learned is that. Most, you know, people know that which they're actually really impacted by. And if you're not impacted by it and you go to vote, so you vote for the, the person whose name you recognize. Right, right. You know, I got to say, you mentioned sidewalks. I have to say that you were one of the people who helped bring sidewalks to the Springs area. So thank you for that. Yeah, well, I, there are a whole lot of people who were responsible. Yes, of course. But, but, but we gotta, uh, when early, we run into the, one, we got to say. Yeah, yeah thank, you're welcome. But a whole lot of people, it was it's some of us who got the whole thing started, mm-hmm. started raising the issue, putting in the pressure, going back when Mike Kale was supervisor and got it rolling, that thing that took a very long time to get done. So Yeah. Well, so we've talked about a lot of your different uh, hats that you wear within government, uh, whether that's the County Board of Education or running for different offices. And you're an alumna of an organization called Emerge, which uh, oh, yeah. claims to change the face of politics to create an inclusive democracy, uh, training women. They train Democratic women to run for to office. To run for office. So, yes, you have um, to be a registered Democrat. Yeah. They, it's that focus. <laughs> but um. uh, I've said it on this program before that I always take for granted how obvious it is to me that women are in positions of power and at the decision-making table. And I have to keep reminding myself that it wasn't always that way. 
What does being a part of this network mean to you? Well, yeah, I went through the program in 2010 because I had heard about it and it was just a few years old at that time. And um, I said, yeah, because I said, I'm thinking of running for office. I was thinking of running for county supervisor and like, how do you do a campaign? So it's really, so that's what they're about. And they've really grown they used to just be Bay Area. They're all over the state, and they're now it's nationally, and they're in a lot of lot of different states. And and because the tools, it's one thing to know that you would be really good in that office, and but but getting there is a whole other story, you know. And so that's that's. But we still have a long way to go. <laughs> I mean, you're saying you're taking advantage because you're a young man. I'm a lot older than you, so. <laughs> And um, so what you're seeing is something now is more normal. It's normal to Exactly. You. It's like, of course, of someone, course it wasn't could. normal when exactly. I grew up. Yeah. You know? So being a part of this network of women, is what is that like for you? Well, it's just, it gives you, that's what it gives you. It gives you a, a network, you know? Um, they have events. They have now as an alum, I hear, I hear a lot of, this is the downside, you know, you, I, I get a lot of phone calls from women who I've never met who went through a merge and now they're running through office. And so and my, my rule of thumb is that uh, I need to know you personally yeah. <laughs> or, or somebody I know real well and respect has told me, Gina, I need you to support this candidate. I need you to meet with this, or I'd like you to meet this candidate. I think you would like this candidate, you know. And so that's the the one of those. So I'll just tell them good luck, you know. <laughs> I, that's what I say. Good, <laughs> good luck. luck. Good, good luck. luck. And good, you know. Um, cool that more people are at the table. Yeah. So that's I mean, and so it's more like keep keep calling, call people you know, call people. You know, yeah. Call people who know people who know you. You know, know somebody who knows you. Keep at it. You know. So that is so that's what they're doing. They're they're growing the pipeline, training women and how to run, um, and how to raise money. Because if you don't like raising money, which is everybody's everybody hates that part of the job. Some people are more comfortable with it than others. But learning how how to get there to be in office and having a network and having an organization like Emerge that um, helps women to be successful and getting into office, I think has made a difference. Yeah. Well, um, it's kind of like what you do with the California County Board of Education where you're helping other people do their roles all across the state, which is kind of neat. Exactly. Exactly. Right. So going back again before this, You've always kind of been involved in the community when you were living in Humboldt County as a news reporter and producer for KFTY-TV and a news director and reporter for KINS Radio. Can you tell us a bit about those experiences? Yeah, so after, because I had also taken journalism classes, and so I was there in Humboldt County at a time when employment was almost, often double digits. If it was 9%, they consider that good news because it wasn't double digit. So you had this community of all these, basically, the unemployment rate was because their economy had not yet changed from the decline in, in logging, which was never going to come back. It's like it's like a community slow to understand that it had to change. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, I know it started trying to get tourists. It had a big idea. Oh, we're going to get a Hilton. I mean, all. And... Um, what did I what I learned from all that? Just 
that. It's the other side of, of you're, you're on the other side of PR. You're on the news side of, of uh, you know, trying to be objective, trying to get the information, providing your listeners or your viewers what they need to know, what you think they should know, what you hope, you know, all of that. And the whole landscape of doing that kind of work is just so completely changed. You know, there was a lot more uh, local radio stations with local news back then. And they just hardly exist anymore. Yeah. You know? Well, it must have been a cool experience. And before that, you got your first taste of politics when I think you interned for the Friends of the River, the Stanislaw River. And then later, you worked for the organization to help prevent the, or yeah, try I, to prevent the damming of the Sierra Water. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't intern. I started. Oh, you worked ch- over the summer, maybe? Yeah, it was a summer job. And I started, actually, when I was a student at UC Santa Barbara, I started the Santa Barbara chapter of Friends of the River. Oh, cool. With another friend. And then, that was sort of my first taste of politics. I remember meeting with the, he was a Republican, Lager Marcino, the congressman from Santa Barbara at the time. And, um... And to talk about, because at that time we were trying to get some legislation to have the Stanislaus River declared a wild and scenic river. And then I graduated from college and got a summer job for working for Friends of the River, just this specific job around that whole the Stan campaign. And uh, and that's the summer I met my husband. Yeah. <laughs> you probably have heard that story. And um, and then there I got a we we I lived we lived I lived there for two years you know before we moved to Humboldt County, and um, after that job I worked at a women's crisis center nonprofit there in Sonora that served the three county region three or four county region in the foothills, did rape crisis work and we had a a shelter for women and children domestic violence services wow. so um, yeah so that was I'm in a book as a yeah. matter of fact there was a book. That was written that came out probably too late. It came out just in the, I'm trying to remember now, 81. And um, I mean too late, I think, to have an imp- the impact that it was intended to have. And there's a picture of me at that letter writing table. And I remember when the book came out and my friends were laughing. We book is out. I'm going to some party. And my fr- friends, Georgina. Guess what? <laughs> we just got you're in the book. That's so funny. Because you know, anyway, yeah. So what do you it's remember about now, that place? But I have one if you ever want to Thank see. Thank you. <laughs> what do you remember about that place? Oh, the Stanislaus River. Oh wow! Well, it it was beautiful. It was where I I learned actually to raft on that river, um, and. Um, and just, and I made, not only that, but I made a lot of friends. Besides meeting Roy that summer, but I made a lot of friends. Just instantly was part of this community. I moved to the Sierra Foothills um, and instantly part of this community. And just going through that, that was sort of my first taste of being involved in a real political fight on a, you know, national scale political fight. And because um, that's the, the letter writing table was about people got off the river and I talked to them about the fight to save the Stanislaus. And now they heard a little bit about it because at lunchtime, the guides, the river of these commercial trips would talk about it. And then people got off the river and then I'm talking more. And my job was to get them to write a letter. It's like you didn't want them to leave 
and I and I got to the point where you could tell me where you lived, and I knew who your Congress member was. Um. Right, and and we did the mailing of it. Right, dear Congressman so and so, I just please support this legislation. You know, I've been on the river's beautiful. This is a resource we don't want to lose. Whatever, I give them some talking points. They the the handwriting these letters right. I would take it and get them addressed and stamped, and then also would collect those and make a pitch for donations. Um, some people going back to their car. A lot of people they get off the river, they don't have their wallets with them. <laughs> yeah. And some would take an envelope, or others might go back to their car and come back with some cash out of their wallet. So that's what I did for that summer. And again, met a lot of people, made made a lot of friends, and um, kind of learned, you know. You put up, as long as you feel like you did everything you can. Because as you know, you know that story. We lost that battle. And it was heartbreaking. And um, so I guess some people could go through that and go, I'm never going to be involved in any politics like this again. (laughs) And for me, it was just a whole learning experience that you're not going to win every time. But if you don't try, it's better to put up a fight and try um, than to just think you're, than to just give up from the beginning. Because I do think it's, it is of the opinion that we save from going through that, because that's the last boondoggle dam project in the state of California, you know. Um, and so the, it's kind of the last river lost. There's somebody I know who was actually trying to do a move, make a movie under that title considering it to be the last river that was lost to a boondoggle dam project um sorry what's a boondoggle ah that's an old word i guess a boondoggle means something that costs a whole heck of a lot of money it's usually a a whole heck of a lot of money usually an infrastructure sort of with that delivers little benefit i see you flood a river there's not a whole lot of water that's provided. This idea, agriculture needed it, da, 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 da. No, it doesn't provide much. And um, and, the, and there was no need for flood control. It was not like a big flood, you know. It's It was just, yeah, that's what boondoggle means. <laughs> Thank you. And there's a lot of Congress back in the day. You don't hear it as much because it used to be Congress used to be famous for local congressional representatives getting money for boondoggle projects you know boondoggle uh pork you know you hear pork but 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 that's what boondoggle boondoggle means big expense waste a little little result so not only did you meet your husband of 40 years there trying to save the river you learned what it meant to lose something worth fighting for to get involved in politics to get people to write in to advocate for legislation you learned to stand up for something you believed in but what other lessons did you learn um, with from your time at the river. Oh boy, you because you hit on all the the main points. I mean, what I did learn too is that as is again, it's community because, like I said, I met all these great people, and there's still a sense of community around that. Um, you know, you could meet somebody or I run into it, and they'll say, "Yeah, I remember that fight. I remember I went there." Or I may have met them all those years ago, you know. And um, just like, so a few years back, I was contacted by KQED Radio, their environmental science reporter. And he was doing, it was during the drought, 
the worst of our drought, and it was a 30-year anniversary of the flooding. And so you were because the drought, the river was so low, you got to go raft down it. And so Mark Dubois, the, the head guy of our so he went, KQD went down the river, like, what does it look like to you now that you get to raft it again because it's so low, because the dam, the, the reservoir oh, is so wow, low because yeah. of the drought. And this would have been, I think this was like 2015. Anyway, so he interviewed, so he called, they gave him my name, Mark Dubois, because he says, well, yeah, I need a woman. I have these two male voices in this story. I need a woman who was also really involved. And I would, he, the first woman whose name he gave, Melinda Wright, didn't want to do a radio interview. <laughs> she would have been, she had a great story. She, no, I don't want to do radio. And she gave them my name. <laughs> you know, go. And so he came up to our house and, and yeah, so, uh, and that, that, so the last river standing is kind of what, what we think about it. Well, who knows now what's, what the future holds with some of the politics, but anyway. Well, uh, your your husband is a rafting guide among other he things. He still is, yeah, yeah. And uh, you've taken lots of trips rafting down rivers, and I think it's pretty cool that you've taken the other side of, you know, defending the rivers, defending the ability to be able to raft down the rivers and to enjoy what so many people have come to admire. Yeah. Well, he was involved in that, too. I, mm-hmm. I had a more active role, but um, he was involved with Friends of the River and can't remember, you know, showing up at things when we had to show up and speak at things, you know, I mean, you know, and so he was around too with that fight. Well, um, it's cool to see where the river of life has taken you. And now you're, <laughs> you've got this education hat and I really yeah. appreciate you sharing a little bit about what you do and what you've accomplished and the ways in which you've gotten involved with the community. It's been a pleasure chatting with you, Gina. Well, thank you very much. And I really thought we would spend a lot more time talking about education and the Sonoma County Office of Education. <laughs> That'll be okay. next time. <laughs> thank you. You're welcome. Thank you again, Gina, for taking the time to sit down and talk with me a little bit about your story and how you came to be who you are today. Of course, thank you to all of you for listening, and know that though we've reached the end of this episode, remember, it's not goodbye, it's Hello Sonoma.